Welcome to the Officer Autumn Podcast, the only podcast designed specifically for female cops in mind. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. I'm really excited about today's guest. Andrew, can you please introduce yourself for everybody? Yes, ma'am. Um, my name is Andrew. I've been in law enforcement for 14 years, working on my 15th year, I guess. Um, I don't know. I hate these things where you have to talk about yourself, right? In, in my career, I've done uh, patrol the whole time. I've also handled a canine on patrol. Um, my department has a, I guess, part-time SWAT team is the technical term for it. We're definitely not full-time, but We've done our call outs. I've done that. Uh, I was a patrol supervisor, so I was a sergeant for a while. So I've kind of, if it's on patrol, I've kind of dabbled in it here and there. Uh, what kind of canine did you have? I'm interrupting, but I'm nosy. Oh, no worries. I had a uh, German Shepherd. You did. Was it, what, yeah. did you have like, was he dual purpose or? Yes, we run all dual purpose dogs at our department. They're all, we have a couple or we had a couple that were, uh, bomb dogs and patrol dogs, but all our other dogs were narcotics and patrol dogs. We have my husband and I have three Belgian Malinois. Oh God! Yeah, how do, find, how do y'all find the energy? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> those dogs are tight, wound tight as a snare drum. I mean, like they, they take are. a lot of maintenance. Yep, they are. So keep going. Keep telling us about you. So patrol, canine. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was a. Uh, DT instructor. I'm also a um, brown belt in jujitsu under Samuel Braga for Gracie Baja. Firearms instructor. I've been doing that since 2010, maybe. Recently got into competitive shooting. And I say recently, like four years ago, maybe. Um, right now I'm A class in carry optics and A class in limited. And I've still got a B class hanging around in single stack because I haven't shot a 1911 in like four years. So, you know, I've got to got to work on that when I'm done with the carry optics. My goal is trying to make master this year in carry optics because red dots on handguns are kind of the new thing. I'm kind of a firearms junkie, so to speak. Like, so what do you carry? Nice. What what's your favorite? What's your like? What do you carry off duty? Oh, I love M and P's. Yeah, Smith and Wesson M and P's. I've probably got five of them, everything from a shield to a five inch, to a five inch with a dot, to a 4.25 inch with a dot, to the compact version. Like, I just, I just like them. It's where I run in competition um, in those divisions. When I run limited, I run a staccato, and I really like those guns also. But it's like, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things, like the old saying goes, it's the Indian, not the arrow. So. You know, you can take a you can take a bone stock Glock and get pretty good with it if you just you just practice and you just try. Well, what makes you okay? I'm a big fan of Glock. I'm a basic bitch. So can you tell me why you don't like that? <laughs> oh, Glocks. Um, Glock is a good handgun. It is a perfectly good duty gun. There's absolutely nothing wrong with carrying a Glock. Nothing wrong with it. Everybody carries a Glock. Yeah, so totally. when I started competing, I wanted to kind of dare to be different. So I went down the MMPs and I decided, like, I don't know if, if I compare the two, I would say the Smith and Wesson MMP 2.0 has the grip texture that all polymer pistols wish they had. There's no need to stipple it, anything. It's it's not too aggressive, but it's not really soft. So if your hands get sweaty, it doesn't try to slide around. Um, I like the grip angle of the MMP. It just, when I present the handgun, it, I like that. But, you know, it's not to say that if you do enough reps with a Glock, you're going to be fine too. You know, MMPs naturally come pretty much ambidextrous. The only thing you have to do is flip over the mag catch. So if you're a lefty out there, the, the MMP is a fully ambidextrous handgun straight out of the box. I think the new Glocks are that way too, the Gen 5s. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to do a whole lot to those either to make them ambidextrous. But yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those things. Everybody shoots a Glock. I like metal mags because I think they fall free a lot better instead of getting the old, you know, Glock shake or the yes. tactical mag flip, trying to get mm -hmm. that plastic mag to slide on the plastic to get it out of the gun. So, you know, I kind of like that. 
for the MMPs. Like I said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with a Glock. It's just like there's a gazillion Glocks out there. So I just figured like, hey, I'll try something different. Um, so I made I made master class in IDPA with a um, five inch MMP Gen One. The Gen One took a lot of work. Like the the Generation One MMP, you had to I had to stipple it. I had to do some other things to it because it wasn't quite there. And then it was like Smith and Wesson listened to their customer base and then made the 2.0 and it was everything that everybody had bitched about, about the <laughs> gen one. So then everybody was like, Whoa, you fixed everything. This is crazy. So now, so that's what you like. So now you're excited. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Now I've, I've got so many of those things of M and P's and they're, you know, they're cheap, you know, we're, we're cops. We don't make a lot of money. I can't really afford to buy these custom built guns. So it's like, Hey, the M and P works for me. What do you, what do you suggest? Like, what do you, what kind of holster do you suggest from your expertise on like off-duty carry? Off-duty. Hmm. Um, I run Fury concealment holsters. Hmm. They're a, a kind of, I don't want to say mom and pop because not that Nick started Fury years ago and he's just like right over in the neighboring town. Is it, how do you spell it? F-U-R-Y? F-U-R-Y. I think it's, I think his technical business name is like Fury Carry Solutions maybe, or it might just be Fury Holsters. Huh. I'm writing it down. I want to check it out. Go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, I like, I like his stuff. I've worked with him on holster designs and things before, just kind of like using it and being like, Hey man, this is what I see. This is what I think you might could tune up, but he does a, he does a really good job anyway. Like he's, he's also a three gun shooter. So he kind of understands that. I don't know that there's any magical holster that really does anything for you. You know, if it holds your gun up and doesn't pull your pants down, then it's probably pretty, pretty good. So, <laughs> you know, again, it's the, it's the old saying, it's the Indian, not the arrow. So as long as, yeah. as long as you've got a, a holster that's not working against you, that's working yeah. for you, then you should be, should be good to go. That's, that's my take on it, I guess. Is there anything that you don't recommend? Like, is there like, like the paddle holsters? Are you like really against that? It depends. Um, paddle holsters. It depends on the on the paddle, the the company whether they designed it. Because a lot of these holsters are really good for shooting, but they're really shitty for like grappling for fighting over your gun. So it's got to be one that's durable to kind of take that the that force of someone trying to pull around on it. You know, if that's something that concerns you, you know. Some people may not be concerned about it for whatever reason, but it's just like, you know, it's just like a duty holster. Mm -hmm. you know, you've got to have something that can hold up to somebody pulling on it while you're trying to fend them off mm -hmm. and not just going to break. And now all of a sudden they're holding your gun with it still in the holster and you're having to fight over that mess. So, you know, it, it really depends. It, it's kind of hard to blend that security versus speed kind of thing you know like maybe off duty you may want to want a little bit more speed because hopefully if you're you know somewhat tactically sound by the time mr bad guy notices you off duty you probably already got your gun pointed at him you know mm -hmm. you're in the bank and they go to rob it they shouldn't immediately go oh well that third person in line there's a cop you know mm -hmm. they they shouldn't know until they're facing the business end kind of thing so you can sacrifice that because the odds of you fighting over your gun in an off-duty situation are much less than on-duty. Yeah, that's a good point. So tell us, let's let's talk about your, I want to go back. So, because we're going to talk about all things guns, because that's what, that's how I found you. But I want to talk also about like your defensive tactics and jujitsu and all of the things, because, you know, we have a lot of women who are listening to this. Um, and so basically, you know, I would say like a smaller statue female, like officer, whatever. So like, let's talk about it. Like, do you, do you think that the martial art that every like cop should be taking is jujitsu or what's your, what's your opinion on that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Jiu-Jitsu, 100%. If you can, obviously, if you can cross train and, you know, if you've got a place that teaches Muay Thai or some striking art, that is a good thing to pair with it. But yeah. if you if you can only have one, right, you can only dedicate your time to one, then it pretty much has to be Jiu-Jitsu. Um, there's really no substitute for it, especially without, you know, without being the whole male versus female thing, but just 
smaller statured people versus bigger, stronger, potentially high on God knows what people, jujitsu works. And it's like, I am six foot one. And I think right now, probably with this belly full of flat iron steak, I just ate, I'm probably about 210. My instructor, Samuel Braga, is a 13-time world champion, and he is all of maybe five, six, five, seven, and 150 pounds. Mm. Literally, he can beat me at will. Mm-hmm. I mean, at will. There's abs- I've never even been close to passing his guard. My game is nowhere near the level of his, even though, you know, if we go – if we go lift weights or bench press, I'll bench press a lot more weight than him. It means his technique is so good that it really doesn't matter how strong I am. I just wind up using my strength to get myself in a whole lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. And so that speaks to, yes, if you become technical enough, if you become good enough, you can negate a lot of people's strengths. Mm. So it, it really doesn't matter whether you're male or female, it's like, plus jujitsu just puts you in a good spot, right? So if you're in a department and you're fighting a guy and you're a smaller statured officer, you know your fight, you really are going to have to survive. Like I said, this depends on the on the department for a few minutes, right? You're not going to probably be laying there for an hour, but probably a few minutes. Yeah. So if you're training regularly, like a few minutes is nothing. You know, you're used to five minute rolls, 10 minute rolls with guys. And, you know, you're going, you're basically simulating a fight as close as you can get without actually injuring each other. And so when you get into a real fight, you find out that like, I tell people all the time, jujitsu is poison in the well. It does not take a lot. Like a little jujitsu against somebody who knows nothing goes a long way. Like, you know, you could be a blue belt and rolling with brown belts and purple belts and black belts and, you know, getting smashed in class and you're just like, man, you know, some days you leave and be like, man, I just suck at jujitsu. And then you go get into a tussle with somebody who knows nothing and you're going to seem like a jujitsu God to that person. They're going to be like, I couldn't do anything with this guy. Like this guy was all over me like a little spotter monkey. hundred percent. You know, and I always say too, um, I always say too, that there's no shape like fighting shape. Right. So like, obviously we want everyone to be in shape. You, you know, you need to be fit. You got to be able to do all the things, but you know, if you aren't actually fighting, whether it is jujitsu, you know, like you said, Muay Thai, or, you know, I talk about Muay Thai kickboxing. I talk about boxing. I think it's important that every officer, um, has been punched. You need to get punched in the fucking face, <laughs> like legit. Cause you don't need that to happen on the job because you have got to learn how to work through that, you know? And, absolutely. and, uh, if you haven't seen stars, that's what's going to happen the, right before you fucking get knocked out. If you have not seen the light, if you have not seen stars, you need to go and train. And, and so I, I talk a lot about that and I, and I, and I tell, you know, a lot of women, like, cause you know, the thing is Andrew, like just being straight, like for somebody who's never trained, right? Like I've been training since I've been five. So going and getting on a bunch of mats with a bunch of sweaty ass, big fucking dudes. I don't care. I'm like, whatever, let's do this. You're going to whoop my ass. It's good. Like, you know, but for some, a lot of women that is extremely intimidating. Okay. And so I'm like, all right, well then if you don't want to start in jujitsu, go start by Muay Thai or boxing and just at least build some confidence by learning how to strike. You know what I mean? What's your thought? Yeah, I think uh, jujitsu, it's a very, I don't know, just the, the design of how it's taught doesn't really, I'm trying to think of the words, it doesn't really help you as a beginner, so to speak. Right? It does not. That, you know, People will come around and they'll help you. But let me tell you, like me and a friend of mine, um, Cody, who's a he's going to get a second degree in his black belt this year. We talked about the same the same thing. It's like, man, because I've been basically I've been doing jujitsu since like 2004, but I've had like these long breaks sometimes, you know, like I'll fall out of it for like a year or two or three and then I'll come back and all this. And it's like finally I'm like I'm back in it. I've developed this love for it that I didn't have before. And so, you know, we talked about it and it was like, yeah, man, when we started jujitsu, like jujitsu went like this. You walked in the door because you thought you wanted to learn jujitsu. 
you got your ass beat for a good six or eight months all the time. You're trying to learn, but you're just so far. That's when you start realizing you're just so far behind these guys. You are just so far behind them. And then, you know, after about six or eight months, a couple other, you know, new people come in and you're like, okay, now I can kick their ass. And so it's like, you know, it just is this whole thing of like, you, you almost have to go through this six or eight months of like, you don't know shit and you're, you're just kind of getting submitted all the time. And no matter what you do, it's not working, but it's like, I don't know that there's a way around that. I think you just have to like, you just have to like saddle up, you know, there's no such thing to me is in like jujitsu for cops because I don't believe in teaching everyone, you know, Hey, these 10 techniques, because if you don't understand fundamental basic level jujitsu, then I don't give a shit. If you know a hundred techniques, you know, that you can memorize if you can't start stringing them together and you can't start, you know, working your way from close guard to sweep into top position to, you know, a Kimura grip on your opponent's arm and especially for cops, you know, getting them face down, getting an arm behind their back and start to cuff them up. If you don't have that foundation of how to get from bottom to top or how to defend yourself from your back, then all of these weapon retention techniques and all this other stuff that's based in jujitsu isn't really going to help you because you don't understand the general concepts of leverage, you know? So it's kind of like you just got to get in there and roll around and it's good for you. You know, it's like when you get in a real fight, it's not going to feel that much different. And it's true. Do you, do you know who David Goggins is? Do you follow him? Yeah, I know David Goggins. I probably don't know him personally, but I know who he is. Yeah. I've read his book. Me too. I love him. I love him. And so, but it's, Jujutsu is kind of like the Goggins mindset, right? Like you, and it's so true. I, it is so fucking true. Like your first six to eight months, I would even go a year, dude. Like legit your first year, you're literally go, you're paying a lot of money to go someplace two to three times a week to go get your fucking head kicked in. Like you're going to go get your ass whooped for a year. And then after that, and then it's, it, it you still get your ass whooped, <laughs> but just not oh, as yeah. bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. The ass kickings never stop. Like, no. you know, it's, just because you become a higher belt, there's always another belt higher. There's there's guys that are, you know, competing, guys and gals that are competing, and they're, they're a lot of times on a different level too. Right. You know, like, I don't compete in jiu-jitsu. I spend enough money competing in USPSA and IDPA and stuff that it's like jiu-jitsu is more of just like I enjoy it, yeah. but it's more of a hobby for me. Like, I'm not going to – go sign up and, and try to win worlds. But, you know, a brown belt that's trying to win worlds, yeah, dude, I'm going to get probably get my ass beat by that guy. You know, and it's like my only goal for him is like, hey, bro, I hope I gave you a good workout, you know, and help you get mm-hmm. conditioned for worlds because my technique's probably not going to be quite at that level yet. But I think you just get more comfortable with it. But like I said, as soon as you've been in jiu-jitsu a year or two, you know, if you're like something like a blue belt or a four-stripe white belt, and you go out here on duty and you get into some little skirmish with a no you know deal. a drunk or something not not some fight for your life but just like somebody who just is resisting and they just don't want to go to jail yeah. like you're going to take them down at will you're going to manhandle them at will or woman handle them whatever the term is right you're just going like to manhandle technique. don't you worry about it <laughs> you're going to technique the shit out of this person and they're yeah. not going to have a clue what went on yeah. and you know if you're a female officer they're gonna have to go tell their buddies they got their ass kicked by a girl, which none of them want to do in jail. But it's like you're gonna, I mean, you're actually going, you're gonna work them and you're just gonna be like, wow, that just wasn't that hard. I'm I'm learning more jujitsu than I thought because you're used to going against people who know jujitsu, at least know some level of it. And when you find somebody who doesn't know anything, it's like you almost feel sorry for them because it's, you're like, come on, dude. You're like, come on. You know, your use of the force is going to be way more tame because you're like, man, I just don't want to get my uniform dirty. Like you're not stressing me at all kind of mm-hmm. thing. You know? So like I said, that's most of our fights too, as law enforcement officers are, I mean, where do we, you know, all your listeners right now, listen to this question. Where do you cuff 99% of resisting suspects? face down on their fucking stomach on the ground so if you don't know how to control someone on the ground you are kind of setting yourself up for a potential hole in your game or or a flaw or something because you don't have anything to 
deal with that if they decide, you know, that last minute for that last cuff goes on, they're like, fuck it, I'm not going to jail. You know, and now it's like, whoa, we can't let them get back up, especially if yeah. you're smaller than they are. That's not a good fight, you know, to yeah. be in. So if you can control them while they're there and never let them back up, like, especially men, I'll give you, I'll give you a tip about men. You get a man in a really bad spot, he'll give up. When he feels like he can't win again, he will give up. Yeah. Every suspect I've ever, I've only had to fight one guy, one guy in all the way into handcuffs, like literally, you know, trying to get both his hands together and click them. Most of the other ones I could get in a really bad spot or I could use pressure, like a neon belly technique or a good heavy side control, something like that. And eventually you hear him, okay, okay. You know, and it's like roll over, pal. Yeah. You know, men are just like that. So, you know, I don't I don't know about the few women I've had to tussle with. Y'all are out there, buddy. You know, yeah, like, yeah. If y'all are mad, watch out. Yep. You know, a, a dude, if you grind him a little bit on the, you know, you get a little pressure on him after he can't breathe real good for 30 seconds, he's like, okay, dude, I give up. I give up. I'm done. I'm done with this. Uh-huh. A fucking woman ain't like that. <laughs> I, I gotta no, tell you. <laughs> not at all. Not at all, man. If they're mad, watch the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll tell you, for me, you know, and from my experience, I don't know. It was a, I've been in some fights with women. <laughs> the women, the women were what, like, I'm like, if I knew when I was going hands on with a female, I'm like, fuck me. We're going to fight because this bitch is like, she's not just actively resisting. You know what I mean? She's oh, like, yeah. fuck you. Let's go. Like, oh, do we got to do this? But we did it. You know, it's fine. But so Andrew, look, can we talk? And I'll talk to you too all night long with you. I really like listening to you talk about it, but I wanted to talk to you about firearms and shooting. And I want to talk about like anything you have to say about it. I, I just, I really want to educate, you know, anybody listening about firearms and how it seems very intimidating like it it just does because you have to understand the majority of women we are not we don't grow up not all of us because there's some of us who live in the south like you clearly and like these girls wake up like you know they have shotguns when they're like fucking two but like there's a lot of us that really don't. I never shot a gun before I became a police officer. I had to go through a lot of training before I even felt comfortable carrying, right? And so the range, I did a lot, and I'd like to hear what you have to say. Like, you know, I did a lot of um, like remedial training, Andrew. Like I did, like I was always like, I trained a lot with um, like instructors because I didn't know. I didn't feel like, okay, I just qualified. Woohoo. Like, woo, I can carry. Like that was scary as fuck to me, <laughs> right? Like the fact that right. someone can just qualify and now they're carrying a weapon. I'm like, holy fuck. But like, let's talk about that. Like right from the beginning. Cause like, what do we do? to become better with our firearms like brand new we're brand new i think a lot of it the the big hump you have to get over when you're new to guns is being like you said being comfortable being comfortable handling the gun because you know if you listen to all the bullshit in the media and everything else you know you literally think like if i lay this glock down and i turn my back on it this fucking thing's gonna get up and try to kill me yeah you know and it's like (laughs) that's bullshit the gun's not going to magically sprout legs and try to assault you while you're sleeping. Like, that's just not how it works. It's a mechanical device like anything else. You know, it's it's kind of like, it's kind of like a chainsaw. If you're yeah. going to run a chainsaw, like you probably shouldn't pick up a chainsaw for the first time and lay into, you know, a three foot diameter oak tree. Like start with some saplings, you know, let's get, let's get comfortable cranking the chainsaw running the chainsaw hearing how loud it is feeling how it feels in my hands before we go play you know paul bunyan and start chopping down trees with this thing so it's the same thing with a gun you you know as far as like a tip i would give a new shooter right off the bat is dry fire dry fire dry fire dry fire you know you get used to, you bring your duty gun home, you know, and you're like, oh, I'm past my qual, my academy class, but I really don't enjoy this. I don't feel comfortable. I can do it, but I don't feel really good about it. That's kind of where a lot of officers fall. 
Yes. They, they, they can do it if they have to, give an infinite amount of time on a range, but they don't really, it's not enjoyable because they're simply just not comfortable with it. Yeah. And you know, you have to understand the motivation of your department too. Departmental motivation to train you to pass a qual is simply nothing more than to limit their exposure to liability. Mm -hmm. They have to have every officer go through this qual so that they are limiting themselves in liability. Now, that does not mean that their job or their motivation is to make you a really good shooter. Yes. Their job and motivation is simply money and liability. They do not want to open themselves up to liability. Mm -hmm. I've argued for years, so I'm blue in the face, that if you train officers to be good shooters, the quality take care of itself. But you can't get them to mm -hmm. understand that. So, so we understand that motivation, right? So that's the department's motivation. So they're not going to go overboard to help you out. Now you might find some firearms instructors that really will go above and beyond to help you become a better shooter. That's true on an individual level. Mm -hmm. But like I said, a departmental level, they're, they don't care. You pass the qual, that's exactly what they needed you to do to limit their exposure liabilities. That's it. So circling back to dry fire, you need, you should be able to probably even at the most basic level, know how to load and unload your handcuff. Mm -hmm. So you want to unload it in your house, unload it, unload the magazine, check it to make sure it's unloaded, check it again to make sure it's unloaded, check it again to make sure it's unloaded, unless you like to patch drywall. <laughs> and then just get used to taking that empty mag and putting it in the gun and racking the slide. You know, for a while, uh, I would use a, a more vulgar term, but you know, finger, Play with your fingers, with your gun. Put your gun in your hands. You know, Andrew, you move can the slide. It's okay. Yeah, fuck <laughs> your damn gun. Like it's unloaded. Once you're once you're one thousand percent sure this thing is unloaded, there's no ammo around. Take the loose ammo, put it somewhere else. Take all the loaded mags, put it somewhere else. Just start with a with your empty duty gun and an empty magazine that you're one hundred percent sure is it. And just get used to like what's the procedure to load it. Okay. I put the magazine in, I rack the slide. Cool. Okay. And you just get used to all the buttons. Just, just get familiar with how it basically operates. Then you can start progressing into, okay, well, I'm going to now take this empty gun. I'm going to put it in my duty holster and I'm going to practice my draw. I'm going to get used to in a nice, you know, smooth motion, putting my hand on my gun, disengaging the retentions and getting it out. And you want your gun to go from point A, the holster, to point B in front of your face with your sights aligned on the target in one motion. I don't want to be fishing around for my sights at the end where I'm having to move the gun up, down, all around, trying to find my sights. I want it to go from A to B. And when it lands in B, the only thing left that I want to have to do is maybe clean up my sight picture a little bit, depending on the shot difficulty, or press the trigger. Hmm. Or do both of those simultaneously. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't be, by the time it hits point B, I shouldn't be that far away from a shot if I need it. And then you start going faster and you start pushing that pace. Because what we're all trying to achieve is a, a level of what's called subconscious competence. And so what I tell people is like, if you can reach subconscious competence with your gun, basically means you know, on the street, you see some dude lift his shirt and drop his hand down there because you see this gun in his waistband. So you've got the stimulus of this guy's got a gun. I need to get mine out that you don't think about anything. All of a sudden, boom, the, the gun is in front of your face, in your hand. Yeah. And you're on him. And now you're you're negotiating through the sights. If that if the opportunity presents itself or you're firing or you're you're addressing the threat, however, it has to be addressed. Yeah. But you're quick. You got to be fast. A lot of times in law enforcement, they they treat accuracy and speed like these things are two polar opposites, and they're really not. You have to have both. So how do you have both? Like, what do you do? Like, what drills? You know, you get to Carnegie Hall, practice. <laughs> yeah. It just so like it's all practice and dry fire is a huge proponent like if okay. you look at any professional shooter they will have done 
probably by the by the time they're you know if you take a JJ Ricazzo or Rob Latham or a Mike Seeklander, all of these are like high end USPSA shooters. They are pros. They're the guys that every year USPSA says, "Hey, come on down to nationals. We need to see you guys shoot because y'all are the best and best around." Those guys have spent thousands upon thousands of hours over, you know, probably let's see, Rob I think is in his late fifties now, so probably for decades doing this dry fire. And it's the only it's the only way. And it's absolutely free. That's the best part. It's absolutely free of charge. It doesn't cost you shit. It costs yeah. you nothing but a little bit of time. And you will find that, you know, even 15 to 30 minutes a day will go a ridiculously long way. Like you'll get if you did if you did 15 minutes a day from now, and we'll we'll even give you the weekends off. Monday through Friday, you do 15 minutes a day. Then by the time your qual comes up next year you won't even blink when it comes time to draw whatever the signal is whether they're using a timer or the target's turn or whatever else when you get that stimulus you won't even you won't even think about it you're you'll just be like whoop and out comes your gun your brain will say draw your hands will just do it and there's your gun in front of your face damn that's it so it's like you know what i you know why i like this conversation so much because there's something you don't even know i'm gonna tell you why i like it so much is i created the i made that i made this like it's like this $30 training and it's called become street ready. Okay. And it was to help women build confidence in uniform. And a whole fucking day is all about this because I cannot understand how any police officer could possibly even begin to think to be confident in their uniform. If they cannot fucking get that firearm out, like you're talking about, be comfortable handling it and shooting it and dry firing is the number one proponent of that whole day. So I just have to say, I love this conversation because <laughs> yeah, you're just, I mean, you're reiterating. It's just so true. And why are we not? So anybody listening to this, I want you to ask yourself why you are not dry firing. Just like Andrew said, it is fucking free. It's free. Yeah. It's absolutely free. All you, you know, when it comes time to press the trigger on a dry gun, you know, and you're in your house, like then you need to start focusing on, okay, pressing the trigger without moving the sights. Like if you understand what your sight picture should look like, mm -hmm. then just press the trigger without, without messing that up. If you press the trigger without messing that up, you're, you're going to hit wherever the sights were aligned. I mean, that's just, that's like hashtag science. Like it's just going to happen. Yep. You just have to do, you know, how many people that shoot Glocks are like, yeah, my Glock shoots low and left. It's like, no, I probably don't. No. The Glock doesn't shoot low and left. No, exactly. You shoot low and left. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And a lot of that comes from the fact that when you're pressing the trigger with your firing hand, the gripping fingers of your firing hand are also tightening a little bit. Because what you'll notice if you're doing that, especially in dry fire, if you're paying attention to your sights, like you always should be in dry fire, is you'll see them cast. If you're right-handed, they'll cast low and left. If you're left-handed, they'll cast low and right. And you'll see that. And what you have to learn to do through dry fire is a great way to do it because it's free, is learn kind of how to isolate those muscles where you can work your trigger finger really fast without having your, you know, social finger, your ring finger and your pink and your pinky finger all flapping against your palm too. Because if they're all moving at the same time, you're casting that, that sight picture, casting that muzzle, and it's going to cause you to impact where you do not want to impact. Mm -hmm. And so that can all be worked out in dry fire. And it, you know, it's a little bit every day. I would say if you, if you're really concerned about, um your comfort level with a gun like i said get comfortable finger bang your gun all that good stuff play with the slide get that out of the way yeah. and then when you start into your serious training and your dry fire then that's when you start go slow go like you're in slow motion like you're like you're in the john wick movies where everything's slowing down right just go slow motion because you want to build a a perfect draw and you can't build a perfect draw by just starting to go fast immediately because what will happen is you'll do it like 25 times really shitty and you'll do five times good. Well, which one's going to stick in your brain? Mm -hmm. The 25 or the five, probably the 25. Yeah. And you're, you're always going to be chasing something that you didn't slow down enough. And I hate telling people to slow down when it comes to shooting because I think you should be fast and accurate. But when you're building a new motor skill, like you're building your draw, you need to go slow and perfect. You need to focus your mind, your conscious effort on every single movement, making that thing perfect. 
And then after you've done that, you know, a few hundred times, maybe your first week of dry fire is all slow motion. Like first week you've ever done of dry fire is all slow motion because you're, you're basically installing in your brain this new way of doing stuff, this new perfect way. Then after that, we can start stomping the gas a little bit, start building the speed. Mm-hmm. You know, that way you never have to go slow again. And then after, you know, anytime you do it wrong, make sure you do a couple of perfect ones slow and then start pushing that pace again. And then we just start building the speed. What you're doing is creating a good, solid process and the speed adds stress to it. If you have a shitty process, when you add stress to it, it's going to fall apart. Mm. If you've got a good, solid process, the more speed, the more stress you add to it, the more it holds and it's good and it's solid. And even if it's a little bad, it's not very bad. I really hope everybody just like paused and rewind and really fucking listen to that again. Cause that, that's, that's like really good. That's really good stuff. That's some good teaching shit right there. I've been at it a little while. My <laughs> hardest been- part is like the, the hardest part for me in teaching firearms is cause I'm like, I'm so like, I guess addicted and obsessed with it is like, somebody asking me something about shooting and it's like drinking from a fire hose. I'm like, Oh, you want to know about shooting? Here you go. And I just like everything <laughs> I ever know, because like, I feel like there's so many shitty LE firearms instructors out there. I feel like they treat it. There's an ego involved. And like, to me, I don't really have that much of an ego about shooting, especially teaching. Like, I feel like I'm on this, I'm on this train. I'm on my path to become a, a master class, maybe even a GM when I hit master, I'll decide if I want to really chase the dragon or not. But, you know, and if, if somebody else comes up like, Hey, I want to come shoot a uh, competition with you. I want to come shoot USPSA with you. I'm like, come on, bro, here we go. Like get on this train with me. And it's like, boom. It's like, I'm super excited about like, come on, man, like bring your duty gear. If you don't have any other holster, they'll let you shoot from it. Fuck it. You know, just, just do it. Just get out here and start doing it. And you're, you're going to see, it's going to open your eyes and then you're going to be as excited about it as I am and all this stuff. And you know, it's, it's really hard for me to, the hardest part is just not turning the fire hose on you and being like, here it is. Here's <laughs> all of it. All at once. You know, it, you have to kind of temper that based on where the shooter is because it's like, you know, if you can't hit a, you know, if a, if a shooter is having a hard time hitting a target static, then probably moving and shooting is not a skill they should try to tackle just yet. Mm, that's a really good point. You know, so it, it's things like that. There are certain things. If your grip's not solid, then, you know, you're not going to be able to run a sub two second build drill. I don't know Well, your, your listeners now know. A build drill is you're basically standing static seven yards from a USPSA target and on the buzzer, you draw and fire six shots. Seven pros do that. Pros do that in under two seconds. Wow. From the draw. Like my average is probably one seven to one eight. If I really stomp the gas, I can get down in the six, 1.6, 1.5 from my competition setup, not a duty holster. Right. So I always tell people too, is like, you got to start pushing the speed. We can't ignore it because you cannot shoot enough. You, have you ever heard the term like from a firearms instructor? Like, oh, don't worry about it. Speed will come. Yeah. No, speed will that. come. Speed will not knock on your door one day and be like, hey, I'm speed. I'm here. It's time to go fast. <laughs> oh, no, that doesn't happen. No, you can't shoot. You can't shoot enough three second build drills to shoot a two second build drill. Mm-hmm. You can shoot a thousand three second build drills. And one day you're not just going to wake up and shoot a two second build drill. You have to try. <laughs> you have to try to go fast. There's no way around it. Yep. Even like with the adrenaline. You know what I mean? I think that's where oh, I think yeah. that I think that's where police officers get confused. As I think that the the idea it's kind of the same, Andrew, is like we can we can even link it back to like fighting, right? Is that oh no, I'm gonna be fine because I'm gonna get I'm gonna get like that adrenaline like it's going to come and like because if i'm in a shooter if i'm in a situation like i'm going to be able to go fast or i'm going to be able to fight and i'm going to have all this strength yeah it doesn't work like that <laughs> yeah. you know you'll hear them in jujitsu all the time oh, I jujitsu i just see red bro it's like yeah that doesn't work that, that doesn't work at all like some dude who knows jujitsu you know two dudes go to fighting and one of them's the i'm just see red bro guy and the He's other that. one's like a uh, purple belt in jujitsu the purple belt is going to destroy him, like mm-hmm. completely just destroy him. It's not going to be very much of a fight. And, you know, back to the building solid process things, the same thing in shooting. If, if you don't build solid processes, 
or processes. I don't know. I'm from the South. I don't know if I use the right words or not. If you, <laughs> it's okay. if you don't do it right, you know, it's like, if you don't build the right process, then dumping that adrenaline and stress on it is just going to crumble your process. Yeah. So your draw, if you have a shitty draw, is going to get shittier. Nothing gets better with adrenaline. It gets a little worse. Yeah. So the my, my reasoning is if I drive my skill level so high mm-hmm. that the adrenaline dumps, this all becomes real. Somebody's trying to kill me. If I can perform 80% of that, I want 80% of that to be totally dominant. Mm. I don't want to win a gunfight because you can you can win a gunfight by simply just living, you know, simply surviving. Somebody yep. puts somebody puts their finger in a bullet hole or puts a you know a tourniquet on the right leg. You know, you could survive, you could win. I want it to be, and I want all the officers I train to completely. If it's a gunfight, I want you to absolutely dominate. Yeah. And like I said, your skills are going to degrade a little bit under, and that's the thing too. I have a law enforcement training. Sometimes it's like. They act like, oh, the adrenaline dumps and everything's going to go away. You're going to be this fucking crab claw guy trying to grab your gun and it's all just going to be bullshit. It's all going to go. That's not the truth. That's not the truth. You, you, your skill, you won't perform 100% of what you're capable of. So you have to keep driving your 100% high. So the 80% is totally dominant. Mm. That's good. You know, all these pro shooters, if you get into a gunfight with them, you know, even if you're a cop and you're like, I do this for real, dude, they'll kill you. You go to a force on force class with a dude who who does USPSA a lot, they'll kill you. Like, they are no joke. Like, sure, I'm sure some stress if it were really real, you know, real bullet holes getting put in people. But you really don't want to push that skill because you'll start seeing the gap and the gap in their skill and somebody who doesn't push themselves on a regular basis is something totally different. Can we just talk about that for a minute? Like as we're talking, I mean, we're really talking like talking to you is definitely talking to somebody who obviously competes at a very high level, both, you know, in your self-defense of like with your (laughs) firearms and like your bare hands, right? Why do you think, I just want to, I just want to go over this. Why do you think that law enforcement is a culture? Why are we not all like that? Like, why is the culture like, I mean, it literally is, well, I, I qualify two times a year, you know, I, I take DT well, and, and I'm going to tell you in Maine, cause I, I was a defensive tactics instructor when I was full-time on the road at the academy. And I'm going to tell you right now, we didn't even have yearly refreshers or maybe, maybe we did. We had one yearly, like four hour block that we would teach at our PD. Like, great. Bravo. I don't know what that's going to do. From, are you talking from an individual cop perspective or from a department perspective? I don't know. Whatever you want to answer. I mean, the, the department's pretty easy. They just like, it's the same way with any of their training. It's all to check a box to decrease their exposure to liability for the most part. Now there's probably some great sheriff's departments out there because sheriffs are elected, not appointed. And there's probably some great police departments out there with yes. chiefs and everything that are, that are Absolutely. of that, of that mindset of, I want to make my product, my officers on the street, I want to make my product better. And this is how I do it. But the, the far and wide majority of departments simply just don't want to have to deal with lawsuits. They don't, they want to decrease their liability exposure and that's all they do. So that's why you have yearly firearms and yearly or biannual DT and all of that shit. It, that's a liability check mark is all that is on an individual level. It's ego. It's all ego. Like, I don't know how many officers, uh, a friend of mine is our head DT instructor. His name is Tim. He is an absolute savage brown belt, like an absolute savage. Like he is, he is into jujitsu. Like I'm into guns. Yeah. Like he's obsessed with it and he is an absolute monster an absolute savage. And I mean, people will, other cops will tell him like, Oh, well, you know, I just, I just punch him. I just punch. And it's like, you get in a, you get on a mat with Tim and try to punch him. This will not go well for you. Make sure your health insurance premium is paid because it will not go well. Like he will, he, he will embarrass you. He yeah. will, he will absolutely embarrass you, you know, and that's even if he, if he says, okay, bro, you can punch me all you want to. And I won't even punch you. I'm just going to wrestle you down and submit you. Yeah. You know, you want to take a swing, you go right ahead. Like, I mean, he's an absolute savage. And 
they, that ego just gets in the way, you know, it's the same. Everybody has an ego, you know, I'm not going to sit here like the fucking Pope or some shit and tell you, you know, I don't have an ego about things. Cause I mean, I do, we all do, but you got to keep your ego in check, you know, and you got to say like, you don't know what you don't know, mm-hmm. you know, like just because you're, you know, the best firearms instructor in your department means jack and shit. It means nothing. If you're not going out to USPSA and opening yourself up to competing against, because the way USPSA works when you get a classification, right? They have this book of classifiers that's like thicker than the Bible. You know, it's like, like an encyclopedia. And they have all these classifiers that you have to shoot. Well, you don't have to shoot them all, but clubs pick a couple of them from this book. They're all the same. If you shoot one in Maine and I shoot one in Tennessee, if it's the same classifier, it is measured out and they're the exact same. So me and you will will shoot the exact same one. And so that goes into a database in USPSA and they'll set what is called like the high hit factor. So like some of the pros and the real high, high level GMs will shoot it and USPSA will say, okay, this is the hit factor. This is the high one. And every, every score underneath that is a percentage of that. So if you shoot that hit factor, you get a hundred percent. You shoot 90% of it, you get 90%, you know, and vice versa. So an A class shooter, which is what I am, shoots between 75 and 84% on average of the high hit factor. And then when you get into master, it's 85 to 95. And then grandmaster is 95 to 100. So you're literally the top, if you're a grandmaster in USPSA, you're the top 5% shooters in all of USPSA, all over the United States. Wow. And so it's an objective measure, you know, like I, I hear all these tactical guys in whatever, you know, and tactics is something totally different. The physical act of shooting is simply shooting, shooting and shooting, whether you're shooting a paper target or a bad guy or an animal, if you're hunting, shooting is shooting. The gun doesn't have a damn clue what it's pointed at. Only right. you do. Right. And so if you don't get that objective measure and you get like law enforcement shooters or instructors that are like, yeah, I'm this good. I'm that good. Their ego takes over. It's like, I have no idea what that even means. Like you're a good farms instructor in LA. You know, what does that mean? How good can you shoot? Well, I mean, I can do, I can pass the qual at hundred percent on qual. That means nothing to me because that's only comparative inside your department because not all quals are the same. That's if you good- go shoot USPSA and you tell me you're an A-class shooter, I know exactly where your skill level is. You tell me you're a grandmaster, I know exactly what that looks like because mm-hmm. it's objective. There's no guesswork to it. You you are what you are, and that's it. If you want out of it, you got to work. Why isn't law enforcement more like that? Because it would challenge people's fragile egos. <laughs> what Just do we know about egos anyways, huh? Yes. I mean, I it's the like, same, it's the same guys, like, especially male officers that think, oh, well, females shouldn't be in the, in the job, blah, 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 you know, especially kind of, you know, geared for your audience. It's mm-hmm. like, I never thought that because it's like, women are a whole lot better at certain shit than I am. You know, like, you don't want me, like, I'm not good at talking like to a bridge jumper. I'm not good at that. That is, that is not me. Like I'm the guy I want to, you know, go out here and make arrests and, and do great things. And if somebody fights, so what? If somebody wants to have a gunfight, we can do that too kind of thing. You know, I'm just not good at like being emotional with strangers and women typically being more in touch with their emotions can Mm -hmm. do that. Like I've seen female investigators get confessions out of people just by kind of, she calls it mothering them. She mothers them. And she will get them to confess to shit you should never confess to. As a cop. You, know, you should definitely have a lawyer and not tell the cop shit because you did it. And she'll just get it out of them. And yeah. they'll confess to the tune of, you know, spending the next 30 years behind bars. And they'll just tell her mm-hmm. because she knows how to use that against them. Use yeah. that. I understand and the emotional part of it and just drags out and these idiots confess things that put them in prison for the rest of their damn lives. And it's like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm shocked, you know, like to me, it's just, y'all are just better at a certain aspect of the job, you know, the certain aspect of humanity, so to speak, you know, like 
you don't run crying, you know, as a male, especially you typically didn't run crying to your dad when you fell down his kitchen. Knee. You went right. to your mom. Why? Because you're looking for emotional support. You weren't looking for like rub some fucking dirt on it and get back on your bike. You know, yeah. that wasn't what yeah. you were looking for. Exactly. You know, I was listening. I got to, I got to tell you this. So I was listening to a podcast got sent to me and it was um, some jujitsu guys and they were talking about, I think someone, some were former military and they were talking about how like women don't belong. Um, they don't belong in special forces and they don't belong and they don't belong in law enforcement. It's not, I'm not going to get into that part with you, but you know, the, the thing they brought up was, you know, and, and I just want to say this, Andrew too, and is I, I'm huge on equality, right? So I don't really believe, I do not believe in two separate standards, male and female. I believe there should be a police officer standard. And if a cop can pass the fucking standard, then that, or if a person can pass that standard, they can be a cop. Like that's how it's like, that's what I believe. But like, what, what are your thoughts are on like jujitsu or even, I mean, I mean, I think firearms obviously isn't, I think a person can learn to shoot, right? It doesn't really matter like if they're big or small or whatever. I'm sure you've got tons of, you know, I know there's a lot of females that are professional shooters that'll just like blow everybody out of the water. But as far as like jujitsu, I mean, if a woman is highly trained, like you said, like your instructor is like five, six, 150 pounds. Yes, he's a male, but like, do you think, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, can she handle herself? Do you think that's even if, if she can, you know what I'm saying? Or do you think that there is a huge disadvantage? I mean, it depends on how you look at it, right? All things being equal. Um, you know, if you got the same skill level, like you take a male and female that's been in jujitsu the same amount of time, they come to the same classes. They've even probably developed their game in kind of two different maybe paths because certain techniques work for different people than they do for others based on strength, limb length, you know, even the length of your arms and legs, certain things are going to work better for you than somebody with shorter arms and legs kind of thing. Um, all things being equal. Well, I mean, then we just simply are in biology, right? You know, males in general, from a biological perspective are stronger than females, but, but if they're not equal in technique and she is better technical wise, it's going to hurt them. Mm -hmm. she's gonna put a hurting on him because there is enough technique you know and jujitsu is not a magic pill by any means you know any any officer you know if i went if i had to go fight a you know professional football player that was six six 300 pounds of chiseled steel and iron and muscle i'm gonna have a fucking problem you yeah. know i mean that's still a problem because the strength the strength difference is so great and so vast but you get your average person who knows nothing. Yeah. A female blue belt probably working. A female purple belt definitely working. You get above that. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to work them over because by then they've learned exactly what techniques work for them, how to execute them well. And it's not going to be good. If, it, if they can get them to the ground and get them off their two legs, that person who knows nothing has really no chance other than maybe some luck, you know, and that's the, that's kind of the thing with jujitsu or with police work is everybody thinks they're going to throw that knockout punch and all that shit. And if you're in jujitsu, you have to be aware of that. You have to be aware of the fact that everyone has a puncher's chance. They can be the most unskilled, you know, my dad's a lawyer, you know, college student, and I'm just out here PI. They have a chance. But once you close that distance, if you're, you know, like I said, if you're a colored belt in jujitsu, you got a blue, purple, brown, black, and you're a female, dude, that person has no chance. Once you lock onto them and you take them to the ground, they have no chance. Yeah. None. And, you know, Joe Rogan, even on his podcast, has said the same thing. It's like most people just simply, it's a, it's a lack of understanding. It's the old, you don't know what you don't know, right? So if you're a big fish in your little department pond shooting-wise, yeah, you may seem good until you go to your first USPSA match and you, you absolutely get beat by a 16-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you get worn out. It's the same principle with fighting. It's like you don't truly understand what it's like to be on the mat with somebody like Samuel, who's a 13 time world champion, and them literally do anything they want to to you, and you can't stop them. Mm -hmm. Until you experience that, you really can't even begin to speak negatively of jujitsu. Go step on the mat with a black belt, 
Yeah. Don't step on the mat and see, and you just, you wrestle or CrossFit or do whatever shit you want to do. Yeah, and it's matter. not going to work. You're going to have zero chance that you're going to feel like, man, this person could have done literally anything they want to, to me. And I couldn't stop them. That's it. And, you know, either you, it's the same way with USPSA. Most cops show up and get their ass beat and either you never see them again or they're hooked. Like I was, and you, you're back every month, and you're like, I want to do more. I want to go faster. I want to learn how to win at this sport. So it, it's usually the same way in jujitsu. They go in there, they get manhandled, you never see them again, or they come back, you know, after eating a big slice of humble pie, and they're like, I got to learn this shit because I didn't like that feeling. Andrew, what would you, what do you, what should, if I can fucking talk now, what would you want to leave our listeners? predominantly women what would you want to leave them with today we've talked about a lot of things i think very helpful things what would you want to what do you want to tell them um probably the same thing i would tell a lot of cops but probably more emphasis because you know just the the average woman is smaller than the average man so you're at a size disadvantage so don't be afraid to go train jujitsu you know, jujitsu is not what it was when I started, when me and Cody started back in 04, where it was like, you just got destroyed until you found somebody you could destroy. And then that, that just got passed along. Instructors are a lot more helpful now. There's a lot more classes. You know, you can look at, you know, your fundamental class, go to your nearest Gracie Baja school. They have a set curriculum. Um, they will teach you to sign up for the fundamentals class and just go and just learn that's typically a lot of a less pressure class in their mm -hmm. curriculum. Mm -hmm. There's not as much just like free rolling going on. Right. Um, that, you know, I, I get it. It's intimidating. I know it is. It, you know, it would be intimidating for a small male who didn't know shit to go in there. Right. 100%. You're going to find that the other people in there that are other white belts too are just as kind of like, this is a whole new thing and I'm getting my ass kicked a lot just as much as you are, yeah. you know? So it's kind of like nothing, nothing worth having comes easy. Right. So if you want something worth having, you got to get your ass in there and you just got to suck it up buttercup, you know, and, and, and kind of take it on the front end. And eventually when you, when you're, when you've been doing it for a couple of years, especially if you get in your first tussle with somebody on the street who don't know shit, you'll realize like, Oh yeah this is working yeah you know? and the same with firearms i would encourage every policeman everywhere to dry fire as much as you possibly can mm -hmm. small sessions daily work better than these big grinders of you know an hour or two of dry fire once a week break it up do 15 20 minutes yep every day three times a week something like that get a schedule down and stick to the schedule it's just mm -hmm. like working out treat it just like working out i'm going to do my 15 minutes of dry fire Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then go compete. Yeah. Don't be intimidated about the competition. It is not a law enforcement range. There's nobody out there with their tape measures out trying to measure their egos. Everybody out there is just competing with themselves. Like if you get on a squad with me and I know you're a new shooter, I'm going to help you out as much as I can going through the squads. Like, Hey, this is kind of what you might want to be thinking about. This, this is not because I'm not fucking competing against you. Right. Most of the, the, the guy that may win the match may be three squads over. I don't even know who that is. All I got to do on this stage is do the very best I can, make a good stage plan, stick to it, execute my skills. And at the end of the day, then I'll figure out if I'm winning or not. There's no like scoreboard until the end of the day. So you, you're really not in direct competition. It's not like jujitsu where, you know, once me and you slap hands and bump fists, it's I'm on. going against you and you're going against me. We know it. You know, right. in competition in, in USPSA, it's not like that. You know, you can go shoot IDPA. It's a little bit slower game, mm -hmm. so it's a little bit more comfortable. IDPA also has a stipulation on their local club matches. If you are a certified law enforcement officer, you can run from your duty gear and you don't have to conceal the firearm. Wow. So you can actually go kind of compete with your duty gear, which is a really good little bylaw. Now, you can't go to the upper level matches and do that, but your local – once a month or however long club match, you can run your duty gear in it, no problem. That's awesome. They don't, they don't care. And I've done it just to say I did it before. And it's it's about the same as instead of having to dig that thing out of concealment, it's over there in retention. And it's a little different, 
you, you really find out if your gear is worth a shit or not, if it's worth it. That's it. You know, because you're actually pressure testing your skills and you're pressure testing your gear. And I think the pressure testing is huge. I think it's so fucking important because that's what you're going to be dealing with on the road. And everybody out there is real helpful, man. Like they'll have a new shooters meeting, you know, like at our club match. And I'd say most of them are about the same because they're all governed by USPSA. You're going to show up, you pay your little 15, $20, however much they charge for the match. It's usually somewhere around there. You're going to have what's called a new shooters meeting. Just tell the people in the squad that you're new and everybody will help you with the rules and, and things like that until you start getting your feet up under you. And then, you know, once you start learning the rules and you start actually competing, you're doing your dry fire, that's when you really start noticing your skill develop. And it'll develop quickly. You know, mm-hmm. if you're doing your dry fire and you're you're worried about, like, you you go shoot a match and you're like, hey, I can't reload worth a shit. My draw was really slow. I can't seem to hit shit beyond 10 yards. If you go work on those and you come back next month and you do, you repeat that process every month, dude, in six months or a year, you're going to look back and be like, man, I sucked so bad. And now I don't suck nearly as bad anymore. Like it's going to be noticeable improvements. Yeah. I think that's amazing advice. And I'm really glad that you're, you're, we're giving it. And I, I know you give it all the time. That's, you know, that's how I met you as a post and you just were pretty much like slamming the the norm, the dogma is what we were talking. That's what you were calling about. Oh yeah. Uh, the dogmatic principles of firearms. Yeah. yeah. Where do the people find you, Andrew? Like if you're still on social, <laughs> yeah, if, if I don't bail from social media, which I'm down now to just Instagram and it is armed threat solutions on Instagram. Um, obviously the at sign goes in front of that. Um, if I'm still there, it, if I bail, I'll, I'll probably leave my shit up for a while because I, I try to I try to give away a lot of the stuff. Like I don't I don't make any money off of Instagram. Nobody's paying me to do shit. Right. You know, I just put this out here hoping like cops will see it and people will see it and they'll get into the sport and they'll shoot more and they'll realize like just because you shoot 100 percent on your qual doesn't mean you're worth a damn. Most qual, most quals are easy mm-hmm. when you shoot USPSA for a while quals become super easy i took our qual one time and this this is gonna sound egotistical but i guess maybe it is maybe it is maybe i'm honest and i got a little bit of an ego right but i like to push myself and i like to see like well, what can i do so i took our qual and i doubled the distances but held to the time standards so instead of shooting like ours starts out i think it's 20 yards and you you have to move from tw- from 25 to 20 and draw and fire three rounds in eight seconds at 20 yards so i backed up to 50 and i sprinted up to 40 and drew and fired three rounds and eight shots and i made a 95 percent on our our qual that i just doubled the distance and tried to hold with the time just to see if i could do it yeah. you know and that's the thing too that that's probably the biggest piece of advice i could give anyone for firearms everybody get their pen and paper out right? write this down <laughs> don't be afraid to fucking fail don't yeah. be afraid to fail on the practice range. Do not go. If you're not trying, if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. Mm-hmm. Like I told you before, you know, you can't run enough three second bill drills to get you down to two seconds. Mm-hmm. You've got to try. You've got to go down there. It is easier to be accurate than it is to be fast. To be fast takes a hell of a lot more work, but mm-hmm. you've got to learn to see at those speeds. So you have to be able, you know, like, We'll use the bill drill again, seven yards, draw and fire six shots to a USPSA A zone target. If I want to run two seconds, the first thing I need to do is simply find out if I can draw the gun and fire six shots anywhere on that target in Mm -hmm. six seconds. Then I start learning how to bring the accuracy in. Then I start learning what I need to do to make all those six shots land in the A zone. You know, am I just wailing away on the trigger? Well, you have to shoot that speed to be able to hit a two-second build drill. So now what I've got to do is I've got to learn to see. I've got to learn to adjust. I've got to tune my grip. I've got to make sure my trigger presses are consistent. I've got to do all this stuff to make sure they all land in the A zone. I can't slow down because my goal is not to be fucking slow. My goal is two seconds. Yeah. So i got to learn to rein the accuracy in, not slow down and get your hits or you'll always be slow. That's really good advice. That's really, really good advice. I really hope the people, 
are listening listeners ladies i really hope that you re-listen to this episode andrew dropped so much good stuff andrew it was really good to have you really thankful that you took the time oh uh, thank you for having me i, I kind of like i told you before i can drone on and on about firearms forever <laughs> yeah well that doesn't mean we can we'll have you on again we'll talk apart too <laughs> but i want i want i really deeply the biggest thing is, is as we you know as we wind down the biggest thing is ladies is get the fuck out there start training jujitsu start dry firing start you know look into competition shoot and don't tell anybody and just go do it <laughs> and that'd be the best like straight up can you imagine like okay let's just picture this you don't tell anybody you go out you start you go and you start competing like andrew and you listen to what he's saying and you and like next year you do this for a whole year your next year at your quals you're gonna you're just gonna fucking smoke everybody and everyone's gonna be like who what the fuck is she doing who the fuck is she oh you're gonna and, kill it the time standards are usually so generous you're gonna be like shooting this nice tiny group faster than everybody else on the line and they're gonna be it. like what the hell and, and you're gonna be like this is easy this isn't even hard <laughs> and that's what we want that's what we want thank you andrew thank you so much no, no problem <laughs>